Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to another episode of Brainwaves. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. My name is Chiara and today on the show we have uh, Dr. Cherry Hentz, um, who is a postdoctoral research fellow from Melbourne University. Um, Her research was on young people's musical identities during recovery. And today she'll be talking with Lauren uh, about music therapy and how it can be used to assist uh, in recovery. Thanks so much, Cherry, for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. <laughs> okay, so how can music therapy help a person's recovery from mental illness? Um, I think it can help in a number of different ways, actually. So perhaps firstly, you know, a lot of people experience social isolation and feelings of disconnect from their social um, sort of networks during mental illness or, you know, experiences of mental health problems. And music therapy offers a great way for people to come together and connect around music. It's a common denominator for a lot of people. Um, So it can help people to unite um, and reduce feelings of isolation. Um, And I guess music making in a shared context also, you know, induces a lot of hormones that are... um, we know help us to kind of prime for experiences of connection to one another. So um, hormones like um, oxytocin that are released, um, you know, to help us to feel connected to someone else are particularly um, released when we make music with other people. So it can be a really powerful connector. Mm. Um, And I think a lot of people um, can get a positive sense of identity out of engaging with music. You know, when people experience mental illness and they're kind of going to mental health services a lot, um, the identity can become quite wrapped up in, you know, your illness, um, what your diagnosis might be, um, receiving services and those sorts of things. And so music therapy offers a way for people to build up um, the non-illness-based aspects of their identity, so the health-based aspects, you know, being a guitarist or belonging to a band or all those sorts of things that, you know, help us to see that people are much, much more than their illness. And what motivated you to start studying into music therapy? I think I have my mother to thank for that because I I was in the car as a teenager and she used to listen to Classic FM and um, a music therapist, Wendy McGee, was being interviewed on the radio at the time actually and I remember being fascinated by that interview. Wendy works in quite a different area to what I work in in mental health, but um, at the time it just absolutely grabbed me and I've been interested in it, you know, ever since. So Mm. So how did you get into that, just study psychology to begin with and then sort of keep going? I did a Bachelor of Music um, at Melbourne University and did also did a, um, a few units of psychology as a prerequisite and then did the Masters of Music Therapy course Mm. at Melbourne University as well. That's Mm. really interesting. So could you walk our listeners through what a music therapy session might look like? Well, um, so I work with teenagers um, mostly or young people with mental illness. So we're talking sort of 15 to 25. So, you know, sessions might look different if you're working with older people um, or younger. But um, a group session... Um, we tend to work very collaboratively 
So um, it's not a model where I'll dictate what's going to happen in a session. It will be about working together as a group and a team to kind of establish what we're going to do, what are the norms of that group. Um, but every session will sort of follow a general structure of um, having some sort of warm-up to get people kind of um, connected in the space, a sort of social warm-up um, that might relate to music or usually does relate to music or involve some sort of music making. And then the body of the of the session can involve a number of different things. So it might be that we're um, doing songwriting and so we might, you know, work on a, a song for a period of weeks together. It might be that we are um, working as a band and building up skills and connecting and relating to one another as band members. So we might be jamming through existing songs or um, mashups, doing things like that. Um, <laughs> all sorts of different options. Or it might be um, that we're not actually playing instruments, that we're sitting down and talking about the music that we like and um, sharing songs that are meaningful to us and relating to one another on those sorts of levels too. Mm. And then we'll usually finish with some sort of debrief um, that can be music-based or talk-based, but it, that's really about helping people to process what's gone on in the session and kind of make greater meaning out of it as well. Mm. And how long are the sessions? Um, a group session will typically be about two hours and we'll have a break in the middle, mm. you know, sort of a coffee or lunch break or something like that in the middle And as well. how often would a person go to them? Um, we do weekly sessions. Um, some people do both individual and group stuff. Mm. Um, it's not to say that people wouldn't benefit from more regular, but I guess there's there's an extent to how much time people have in their week too, so yeah. weekly works well. <laughs> it actually sounds like lots of fun, like something that doesn't actually directly have, like you said before, have a connection or doesn't relate specifically to mental health. That's not the reason why they're all there, but that's, I guess, a benefit that comes from that, you know, connecting with the other people around them. Um, you know, using music as a tool to connect with other people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about it in a way that, um, I, you know, because it's within the context of a mental health service, um, having some sort of problem with your mental health has brought these people into this service, but then it provides, um, you know, a space a sort of away from that and a time away from that illness focus. You know, it may come up in songwriting or those sorts of things, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that we're there dealing with your problems. It's more mm. about looking at who are we as human beings and, yeah, we all um, connect and relate through music. So, yeah, mm. it's, a, it's a different way of focusing, I think. Yeah, and do different music therapists have different theories or approaches into how they run their sessions? Yeah, definitely. Um, within mental health, there's even different theories that kind of inform the ways that different people work. Mm. Um, and certainly music therapy, because it's such a broad field, um, has really different um, theories and approaches that are relevant in different contexts. But within mental health, um, you know, there used to be a very strong, and still is, particularly in Europe, a really strong sort of school of... Um, based on the sort of psychodynamic, psychoanalytic sort of theories from Freud and all that sort of yeah. thing, which is mostly using improvised um, music. Um, and then in the US, there's still a strong culture of behavioural approaches. So looking at more, you know, the kind of the observable behavioural changes that people can learn through music. And then in Australia, we've more recently 
started to step away from that, particularly influenced by recovery philosophy, I think, about challenging some of these more medical models about Mm. illness and kind of really focusing on people's deficits and instead looking at more strengths-based approaches. Um, You know, in some ways it ties in with um, positive psychology um, and looking at the ways that um, music can kind of override some of those limitations and really work on people's strengths. So there's such a strong connection between music and people's emotions. What can science tell us about that? So science has showed us that certainly music will evoke particular emotions. Um, And I think everyone knows that and certainly feels it. Um, And, you know, at a physiological level, music can um, promote the release of particular chemicals in the body that are known to evoke these emotions. So um, particularly, you know, uh, reducing cortisol levels in the body to, you know, um, reduce feelings of stress um, and promoting, uh, you know, things like serotonin and dopamine. But what science hasn't been able to show and that a lot of researchers have tried to show because it would be in some ways quite convenient Um, is this kind of um, drug-like or dose effect um, in that particular songs, uh, you know, people like to believe that particular genres or particular songs will cause particular emotions generally for people. And science, just uh, at least no science that I've seen, has been able to show that. So um, what I would say is that it's highly subjective. So one person might be able to get a predictable response from a song Um, an emotional response. But that's going to be very subjective to that person. So it's really about the relationship that each individual person has with their own music. So with particular songs or associations that they might have to particular songs or even styles. Um, But it's incredibly subjective. Yeah. Mm. And then, then is there a difference also between playing music or just listening to music as well? Like that seems like something that you touch on both in your sessions as well. Yeah, Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. Well, certainly that depends a little bit on the person's experience with music. So Mm. if you've got a very strong listening relationship with music but you've never played an instrument in your life, you can probably get very powerful um, emotional responses from that experience. Whereas someone who plays an instrument um, to a degree where they've got um, a lot of skill in expressing emotion might be able to shift their emotion using, um, you know, using music. Or actually someone that doesn't have any musical skill could also do that too. Um, So playing music might be about kind of expressing or shifting emotion um, or connecting with other people kind of through that shared music making and connecting on that emotional level. Mm. Whereas listening can be about um, identifying with um, existing emotions or potentially shifting them too if you're going to try and listen to something that is a slightly different mood to what you're in and try and sort of get yourself to experience that emotion instead. Mm. Yeah, that's really mm. interesting. Um, so outside of a music therapy context, can music play a helpful role in recovery just generally? Yeah, definitely. And actually in all the work that I do with young people um, in, in a mental health context, As a music therapist, I definitely hope that I can link them in um, with ongoing forms of music making um, outside of therapy. Mm. You know, I see therapy as kind of um, perhaps the initial step or the way to connect people, you know, with health promoting ways of making music if they happen to be disengaged from that. They aren't necessarily. Um, But, yeah, I mean, 
you know, being in a band in the community has huge health benefits. You know, you, it's a sense of identity. Um, it's a skill. You know, it's a sense of, wow, I have competency. I can, I have people that I'm close to. I can relate. You know, it involves a, a large amount of being able to communicate and relate to other people. Mm. Um, writing songs in a band, you know, helps you to express um, certain things. Um, being in a community choir. So there's lots and lots of benefits um, mm. or using music, you know, you're listening just to manage your mood and regulate it in a day-to-day context. Yeah. Well, you sort of touched on our next question then because we wanted to know about um, combating social isolation through listening to music or being a part of a band or something like that. So it can can help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really interested in this actually and some of the current research that I'm doing is really looking at how music can support people who are socially isolated um, to connect with others um, and become more um, socially engaged or, you know, have a way to participate in the community Mm. that I guess music offers, you know, it could be music therapy, but it doesn't have to be. So music in general offers a way for people to participate. Um, Mm. There's lots of different ways you can participate in music. You might be really highly skilled and be in a band and have something very focused but it might be that you just go along um, to a gig and participate that way, you know, mm. and listen. Um, so there's lots of different ways that it can um, support people to, um, I guess, come out of isolation. It's it's a way for people to connect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, many young people seem to find comfort in musical subcultures. Sometimes it's heavy metal, sometimes it's punk or indie or whatever. Might they might deal with darker themes as well, often relating to mental illness. Is there a connection then between mental illness and music taste? From my experiences and, and certainly the research I've read, music and music taste expresses what is meaningful to someone. So whether that be their values, particular issues that they're facing, um, particular emotions or um, experiences that they're going through, um, and so often we'll turn to music that we feel, you know, ex- either expresses that and so we can have a sense of being understood or um, relatedness mm-hmm. um, through that listening process or perhaps at a larger level through belonging to one of those scenes like the metal scene or something like that where you know that other people um, may be going through similar sorts of things. So. Um, you know, it might be that people who are experiencing mental illness are connected or might be particularly drawn to some subcultures um, where some of those themes are more prominent and they can experience um, that sense of relatedness and belonging and perhaps feeling more understood, Mm. um, you know, if their own networks um, aren't exactly, you know, um, connected to those issues at that time. But I certainly don't think that belonging to a subculture um, drag someone into illness or, you know, kind of can prime someone for that yeah. experience or cause it in any way. I think it's more that people will be drawn to what's relevant to them. Mm. Yeah. So we understand that you've conducted research into young people's musical identities. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yeah. So that was my doctoral research. Um, so in that research, I was looking at how young people's music changed when they um, began to experience acute mental health problems. So that might be sort of psychosis or depression or personality um, disorders and those sorts of things. Um, So when they started to experience real problems um, with those and then 
during their recovery for a, a period of around six to eight months afterwards, um, any changes that continued to happen in their musical identity following that time. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess I should probably say with that too that um, musical identity, <laughs> in my understanding, the way that I conceptualised it in that was um, really twofold, I guess, and this is based on the work of other scholars um, particularly Raymond MacDonald, actually, who I'm very influenced by and was one of my supervisors, talks about musical identity being kind of both the ways in which we use music to build the non-musical aspects of our identity, like personal qualities or style or Mm. values, um, but also the roles that we might have in music. So, you know, being a a heavy metal fan or um, being a violinist or all those sorts of things. So Mm. it's, um, it's quite complex. But, um, yeah, so that's what I looked at with young people, how those might change with changing experiences of mental health. And also musical symptoms is something else that you've conducted research into? Yeah, that that came out of the findings, actually, that it was interesting to me. It was qualitative research. I used grounded theory where um, I interviewed people um, repeatedly um, throughout their experience or during their time in music therapy. And what people seemed to describe were like these musical symptoms. Um, it wasn't an existing construct, so I came up with that that notion um, to uh, kind of explain the findings. And I guess I understand symptoms to be like an expression of someone's inner state. Um, you know, we use it really in relation to illness, um, or but... I don't necessarily see it as being a negative thing or having to purely express pathology. Um, But musical symptoms I saw as being like a musical expression of someone's inner state. So for these young people, um, the ways in which their illness might be expressed um, through music. Do you think music therapy deserves more recognition? Yeah, I think the arts deserves more recognition in general, actually. <laughs> it's, um, it's really totally just under-recognised, undervalued in, in Western um, sort of cultures and society in mm. general. And I think that, yeah, there'd be um, a lot to gain from music therapy having more recognition. Yeah. Do you think it it could also work for diseases sort of less like mental illness, like maybe chronic disabilities or um, long-term, anything else maybe? Absolutely. Um, There's um, a large and very strong field um, of music therapy in um, chronic mental, uh, sorry, chronic health problems, physical health problems, um, degenerative physical um, health problems, um, dementia, Mm. um, neonatal. It's, It's kind of everywhere. It has a huge relevance to, you know, the entire lifespan really because if you think about it, music is so important throughout the whole lifespan. There's not really one particular age where you engage with music and that's the only time where it's relevant. It's um it's an important part of our lives and our culture throughout throughout our whole life. Um, although, you know, I think particularly um, youth is a time where we're kind of heavily absorbed in it, mm. but certainly relevant across the lifespan. Mm. Yeah. So what can be done to create greater access to music therapy? It's really a funding issue at the moment, I think. Um, getting getting funding for music therapy positions is constantly a battle, um, just because, I guess, relating to what I said before about, you know, um, the notion of the arts and music being undervalued. Mm. Um, and, you know, medical 
models really valuing that notion of hard science where where's the evidence we want to see how this works and it can be very hard um, to show some of these benefits as particularly in mental health you know some of the the benefits of um, you know social engagement and connection and things can be quite hard to kind of prove in that sense of you know um, proof so I think um, a broadening in the ways that we understand and appreciate um, what is happening in, in mental health care would be really valuable. And then I think there would be greater acceptance of things like music therapy and greater understanding of exactly what it is it's doing for people's lives. Mm. So if any listeners are interested in music therapy and want to maybe join into a session or find out more information, what should they do? Um, they could go to the Australian Music Therapy Association website, mm. which is www.com austmta.org.au. I hope I've got that right. (laughs) Um, That's probably a great place to start because it has a big list of resources, music therapists across Australia, um, loads and loads of things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll make sure that we put that website up on our our own website. Yep. Yep. When we upload the podcast for this week. Yeah. Mm, Fantastic. Um, You know, my sister's in a in a um, in a metal band, yep. and um, she writes music, and um, music for her has been a really kind of um, powerful tool, not only in a social aspect but a way of expression as well. Um, mm. So I'll make sure that she listens to this, <laughs> to this show. Yeah. Um, no, but it is it's it's very interesting the way that um, you know music can be used um, as as a way of expression. But the problem with it is what you've mentioned before is the idea that how can you some of the things that people feel, you know, in terms of when they do see, you know, recovery is that they're very abstract sort of concepts, you know, how can, it's difficult to kind of measure unless you've got, you know, how do you measure quality of life? You know, it's difficult to put a number on that. Yeah. Um, And I guess that's the real issue with that is that, like you said, you know, um, funding bodies want to see they want to see numbers they want to see hard evidence um, you know and music elicits emotion it taps into um, emotion and it's so difficult to put that into a quantitative <laughs> um, yeah. format yeah yeah that's right I think it's the major challenge and you know I think in some other areas of music therapy it's a little easier where they're working more with observable signs and things like that that, you, that you can mm, yeah. yeah that you can measure um, but I think particularly in mental health, it is just so incredibly subjective and you're working with, the, you know, the workings of someone's mind and, like you say, quality of life, which is incredibly unique to each person. Um, then, yeah, how do you put that into, um, you know, a measurable scale and numbers? Um, you know, it's very hard to equate that sort of thing to numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think music therapists are still trying to figure out um, exactly how we can do that. We can capture some things in, in existing scales for sure, but it, it's very hard to really get to the essence of what that is mm-hmm. and capture it in a, in a scale. But I think, you know, the more that things like recovery um, philosophy um, becomes stronger in mental health care and the more that they start to accept that um, what is evidence um, is it, you know, someone's testimony um, someone saying, I believe this helps and this is why, as opposed to just purely relying on numbers all the time. Mm. Um, you know, those sorts of shifts 
will benefit things like music therapy that kind of, you know, um, the more the humanities. Mm. Um, I think especially in Australia there is sort of starting to be this push towards peer mental health groups and stuff away from the whole clinical like 10 sessions and there's your psychologist and now you're done and here (laughs) now find a group to talk to and things like that so I think it is sort of a good way to start engaging people in a different way as opposed to just your strict typical healthcare system yeah Yeah. moving away from that medical model yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. in the meantime though it sounds as though that you're doing some amazing work with the young people that that you're working with it sounds like a really supportive environment for them um you know to to be able to come together and you know just be in an environment where they feel understood by the people around them and they can kind of connect just human to human you know about something that's not you know specifically mental health that there's a whole bunch of other reasons why you know individuals can get together and um connect with each other yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well, <laughs> I certainly love the work that I do and I feel very privileged to be able to do it. So, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful job. Amazing. All right, well, thanks for listening to Brainwaves. You've been tuning in to 3CR Community Radio on 8.55am. We've been talking with Dr Cherry Hentz about music therapy and how it can be used to assist recovery. You can listen to today's show and previous podcasts of our show on the 3CR website or brainwaves.org.au and on iTunes as well. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Brainwaves on Wednesday at 5pm. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for Renegade Economists. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.